0: Be a part of the Fredericton Freeze Women's Basketball Team's $100 from 100 fundraising campaign. The Maritime Women's Basketball League team is seeking $100 from 100 businesses for their 2024 operating expenses. Email frederictonfreezemwba at outlook.com or frederictonfreeze.ca for details. It's a Fredericton treat on the north side and a proud supporter of the Late Scratches podcast, covering sports of all sorts in the Fredericton region. Dixie Lee has been serving our loyal customers for decades at 115 Gibson Street. Our staff is always ready to serve up your favorites at Dixie Lee for dine-in or takeout options. We know you have plenty of choices for food fuel, but we hope Dixie Lee is on your list. Call us at 455-8800 or better yet, come on in to Dixie Lee.
1: Hi, and welcome to Late Scratches, the podcast where we cover local sports of all sorts. I'm Bill, once again with Brad. Brad, uh, get to do one of my favorite things tonight. We're talking to a couple coaches.
2: That's right. Absolutely. <laughs> Great to have a couple of guests through uh, technology once again, and I'm in a really good mood. I was listening to Pink Floyd on the way over tonight, so all set.
1: Uh, wow, well, that's that's good. I apologize if you mailed in here tonight. I've had the wood stove going all day. I did a work from home day today, so it's, the it's downtown only, it's only <laughs> 26 degrees in the kitchen here uh, right Yeah, now.
2: The downtown Mar- Marysville studio is sweltering.
1: And I'll, I'll leave it to you to introduce our guest. All right.
2: Yeah, we have two guests uh, uh, this evening and I want to thank both of them, uh, two of my favorite people in the whole world. I can say that uh, Charlene Woolover, longtime uh, basketball coach and certainly a player at UNB, uh, now coaching uh, with Kirsten Piercy's uh, Leo Hayes staff and Madeline Belding, who's been a, literally across the country at UBC and Windsor, U-Sport level and uh, is back home. Uh, or close to home in Fredericton and working with uh, Aaron and staff with uh, highly rated UNB Reds this year. So uh, great to have both coaches. So I think you can probably figure out what we're going to be talking about tonight. Uh, basketball will be the, be the theme.
1: Basketball is the theme. Um, Charlene, I know there's a recent picture of your, your UNB uh, championship squad from back in the day, day going around. We won't say the year, but I will say that the, uh, the jersey styles have certainly evolved since that time.
3: <laughs> yes, they have. Yeah, nineteen in the late nineties. We'll just we'll just say the late nineties. Well,
2: yeah, I, I think it's, it's weird, great. You to- know. Go Sorry, ahead.
3: The, 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 the uniforms are a lot better in the years I played than the years pre- prior that we're seeing today. <laughs> I will that, say that. That's for
1: sure, yes.
2: And, and there's a great uh, uh, cross-connection there too. I think uh, the women, UMB women, are doing a great job of of the alumni, photos um, and, and social media and, and trying to connect uh, alum, which is not always easy because everybody's doing a whole bunch of things. But, sure, that team um, – Remarkable Joyce Slip was, uh, I think, in her eighth year that year, ninety-eight, ninety-nine, bronze. It was Canadian Inter University Athletic Union back then, U Sports now. Uh, Nineteen and one in the Atlantic uh, circuit, thirty-two and three overall, and a. I see Virginia Dickinson, who's played some of our uh, spring and fall leagues, and uh, Laura Swift yeah. Christie, Bonnie Munn, Shelley Ryan, Lynn Robertson, Lindsey Myers, and yourself. Like, that was a formidable team.
1: Now, you told me you didn't make any notes for this one. Well, you I hadn't. That was a team. I that remember that team head. very
2: well, mm-hmm. and uh, for <laughs> a number of reasons, because I was writing for the Telegraph at the time, and uh, that was certainly a powerhouse, but uh, quite a squad.
3: Yeah, yeah, great. Oh, my goodness. The, the memories that we made um, that year in particular. <laughs> Um, we, I mean, we had, Laura came back from, I think she played in Europe the year before, maybe a couple of years before. And um, so that was just a really great ad and things just kind of came together. We just had the right combination of, um, you know, seniors and, and younger players. And um, I just, I just remember that year being like, we were, it was the kind of team that you really could just lay everything on the line at practice and, you know, and really work, work hard. And um, and then when we left practice, I remember just we had a, such a great chemistry that we could just you know we could just move on and onto the next you know onto the next day and be you know be friends and stuff like that after practice and but really go hard each other every day and I found that I mean I found that was a really nice uh, and I feel like our our teams always had that to a certain extent but that was kind of special like we just had that that common bond and we just kind of went at it, it was super fun
2: and totally forgot, Charlene, you started at UPEI before coming back home.
3: I did, yeah. I did one year at UPI, 94, 95, yeah. Played there for a year, then came home, sat out. It was Joyce's first year of coaching, uh, returning to coach at UMB that I sat out. And um, I practiced with them every day. I I didn't really want to be a part just because I had to sit out. So she was was kind enough to let me be a part of everything that I could be a part of that year. Um, It was tough because I think that year they... They might have lost. I mean, they didn't have a great season that year, but the games that they lost, they only lost by like four or six or something small, single digits. So it was really tough to be on the sidelines, I have to say. I remember that quite clearly.
2: No doubt. uh, 11.6 points per game in that uh, memorable season, too. So, I mean, and I listened, I'll tell a quick story. Back when we had the Northside Minor Basketball Association, we had a three on three tournament outdoors. And, uh, shared, I forget who you're playing with, but they needed a player. And of course I was standing there and I said, yeah, I'll play, put on a pair of sneakers. And that's when I got to see just how competitive you were. I was like, stand back. The matador is coming through. I'll tell you what. So it was pretty impressive. (laughs) You did
3: struggle with that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. It was a big
2: struggle. I just, well, I found out pretty quickly it was just catch the ball and then just find you. (laughs) that was easy and Madeline uh career in coaching uh played at Sussex and uh interscholastic star and I know injuries derailed your hopeful university career but you certainly turned it into coaching and coaching with some legends along the way too out in UBC with Deb Uben, and and then moving to Windsor for five I guess you lost one season to COVID but five seasons and now uh coming back to coach New Brunswick and and right back into the thick of things with UNB tell me about your coaching career
4: Yeah. I mean, uh, thank you for that introduction, but, uh, you know, injuries obviously didn't, didn't help in that situation, but, you know, took a little bit of time off and then realized, you know, I couldn't be away from the game for that long. So turned it into coaching. Um, I have some, some pretty awesome coaches along the way that I can thank for that opportunity. Um, a great mentor of mine and Liz Doyle, who was one of my first provincial team coaches. Um, I asked her one day I was back from university if she ever wanted help. The following season, and then she asked me what I was doing that Saturday. So, that was my introduction into coaching Team New Brunswick. It was a uh, quick crash course, but uh, it kind of led me down this path. And um, I look back when I think it was when I first got to Windsor. I'm like, how did I get here? Like this wasn't what I was planning to do, but I couldn't be more grateful for it. So. And uh, you, you said it best, like the the coaches I've been working with have had the opportunity to work with in Deb and Chantal, and now with Aaron, not only amazing coaches that have, you know, had their marker on Canada basketball in different capacities, but also just three incredible female coaches and role models for the uh, for athletes in this country. So I consider myself very grateful to have had those experiences.
2: And if memory serves me correct, was there not a Joyce slip connection with UBC too? <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah, so that that's an even funnier story. Joyce was my U15 coach back in, I don't remember the year. like we'll a, say couple, maybe a couple of years ago. 2008, maybe. Um, so she, when I was going to do my master's at UBC, she said, I'm going to put in a good word for you. You better go into the office. And it took me two weeks, but I did eventually get my butt into Deb's office and said hi. And she was like, oh, I've been waiting for you. Right. Like Joyce told me about you weeks ago, like I've been waiting for you to get here. And I was like, well, I'm here. What can I do? And then that kind of, you know, popped on board as a grad assistant. And that was, yeah, really, really great experience through my master's. So it's good.
2: Outstanding.
1: And Madeline, you've also been coaching the Port City Fog in a league that's near and dear to, well, probably all of our hearts, but certainly at least three of us here for sure.
4: Yes. Yeah. Uh, again, couldn't, couldn't be more fortunate to have that role um, when. I first heard about the NWBA, and that was a conversation Brad and I had. And then I found out there was a team going to be in Saint John. It, it happened at a very interesting time for me. I was actually home during COVID. Um, you know, I was a little—I guess we could call it a little bit of a sabbatical. And uh, the timing just kind of worked out, and I had the, the right conversations with the right people, and they wanted me in that space. They were really focusing on giving opportunity to female coaches, and I hopped on board. And couldn't be happier. I mean, like, look at my team. How could you not be happy coaching, <laughs> coaching those athletes? So it's not every day you get to work with people as incredible as Kaylee Kopatrick and Courtney Thompson. Um, and I could go down the list of how incredible all those athletes have been in the last two years. So.
1: And an absolutely incredible run to the finals in in St. John this year as well. That, yeah. was, that was a fun
4: weekend uh, for sure. <laughs> As a defensive year? coach, that final hurts me. 107.98 <laughs> or whatever. Certainly, yeah, we certainly made it interesting for the fans. They, I forget the exact score. Was it 102.93 or that something? That might have been like it, 102.93. There,
1: yes. there were a yeah, lot of points. I know it, it was a A lot day. of points scored. <laughs> um, and I think that's a, that's a great jumping off point to get into sort of how we got here to this conversation today. We touched on it, I think, last week. It might have been the week before, where I know, Brad, you've told me a few things over the fall. Low numbers at an information session for FHS, which I kind of like, well, that's not a big deal. It's an information session. Uh, and then I heard no GV girls team at Leo Hayes, which really made me raise my eyebrows. And then I heard something about a low number of AA girls teams in the province overall and thought, boy, there's some t- troublesome data points there, at least to me. So thought we might want to talk about what's happening, really happening. Because I, I also look around and I see there's a Frederick Fusion U11 tournament here this weekend boys and girls and combined, there are like 70 basketball games going on involving right. youth at, at that age. So what's going on? Is there a disconnect yeah. between the, the really young kids and the high school kids?
2: It's interesting. We're joined by Charlene Wollover, a longtime basketball, and, and Madeline Belling, and I think that's what we want to get into. And, Charlene, you're close to this. Uh, you're, you're involved with the varsity team at Leo Hayes, and, and no JV girls. Leo Hayes' population hasn't shrunk. Uh, can you touch on that a little bit? What happened? Uh, where are the numbers?
3: yeah like that's that's the thing and i didn't expect it myself when i when i came in this year to have it quite that um you know you start open gems in september and you know you expect the numbers to kind of be low at first maybe and then grow a little bit as the you know tryouts get closer and stuff but um we found ourselves with 15 between 15 into the max 18 20 kids um you know as as tryouts get closer so we decided that we'd go and just kind of find like we had lists of kids who came up from, you know, Devon and Middlesex in our feeder schools and assess and um anyway so approached some of those kids and and really there wasn't any stick out thing that they were telling us. It was some of it, you know, some of them chose that you know, I'm going to go do another sport that I've been doing for a while and um and some of them were just kind of like I feel that I mean it's an, they're not going to tell you like come, I'm a complete stranger coming up to them but they're not going to tell you that they feel a little bit intimidated maybe, or that they are a little bit, you know, they 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 know that there's like grade nine to 12 going to these open gyms. So maybe there was a little bit of, you know, that happening, but um, we went and do- knocking on doors and, and talking to the kids and we just, and, and we never had any change there. You know, they didn't start coming out. We we offered to have maybe just a grade nine, 10, you know, night and maybe a grade 11, 12 night and nothing like nothing changed. So I don't know, honestly, I, um, Everybody I talk to, it's like, but it seems like, like you said, uh, Bill, is that like the younger groups like that U11, there's a group of U14, I think this year, like, I don't know if it's just starting to come back around and there's just this little gap that's still, you know, existing out there. It's interesting COVID. because,
2: yeah, and COVID, and I was going to touch on that as well. I think a lot of things, um, you know, maybe uh, young athletes found something else at a younger age, and uh, not just basketball. Maybe they were bat or volleyball players, and they found ice hockey or, or whatever. But uh, the freeze is is connected with the Fredericton Fusion and uh, Ashley Council, who's the dynamic. Uh, president of that organization, just, you know, she had shared some numbers we are talking today and, and the numbers are big at the youth level, like up 29% from a year ago. Um, you know, when you see 127 boys at the, uh, you know, under 11, Uh, but ironically, the smallest group is the under 14 girls with just 34 competing this year. And maybe it's not Mm. just 34, maybe that's a good number, but Madeline, I know you and I've talked ad nauseum and you've been involved with basketball in New Brunswick for a number of years, coaching provincial teams and and running through elite development program. What are you seeing at the provincial level and is it funneling down into the interscholastic level and youth level?
4: Uh, I mean, that's a very, that's a very loaded conversation. I think we could go on a lot of different paths here. I think I I would start just kind of addressing the drop off. And now we know that that 12 to 14 year old range is the highest rate of dropout for girls in sport. And that's consistent. Um, I do think it was accentuated that my guess would be by COVID. Um, girls have a higher tendency to be in sport for the social connections. And if you lose that, that proximity to your friends, to your teammates, And you, if you're not a highly motivated athlete and you're there for social reasons, then what, what is your purpose for being in that space anymore? Um, I think basketball, New Brunswick, there's probably from a provincial team perspective, self-confidence issues that play into that as well. If you're not selected for a team right away, or you're not selected into certain spaces, there's a lot of times where I find athletes just self-select themselves. They take themselves out of the equation like i didn't make it so i'm never going to make it um and again these are generalizations in in that space but yeah i do think covid did a number on sport in general and that's probably why you're seeing that big resurgence at the u11 and then that drop off at U13, 14, because we already know, again, that, that that's a high drop off rate. And those are the athletes mm-hmm. that would have missed about two years of those social spaces and just learning to play without the competitive aspect of it, just the joy of basketball. So um, I would imagine those those played a big factor in that.
2: That's interesting because Ashley, again, Ashley Council with Fusion did say that she thinks that the, the, uh, the gap will start to close once the U11 children uh, move up. And, uh, you know, that is something maybe to keep an eye on, which could be good news.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: All right. and, yeah, and I think it,
3: confidence plays uh, a big role, to be honest, as well. Like, I think I went, when Mel is saying, you know, some of these numbers and you see, and like I went to um, the Remember When conference a few weeks ago, it's the phys ed um, uh, conference. And this is one of the topics they were talking about is is how like youth and uh, girls in particular is, is, is low and it drops from, the time they leave elementary school and it drops again when they leave middle school. Um, so, and like, and, and males tend to, they, they fluctuate downward, but not in the trend that girls, girls do. So yeah, I think it is like a bit of a confidence, confidence thing. And, and I, I pulled some of my grade 10s today. I was in class and I said, you know, just a sidebar conversation with me, you know, what, what happens, you know, what makes you, if you, what makes you not play or what makes people not play anymore. And so, and a lot of them said, you know, getting cut, like once you get cut, you know, you're not going back. Yep. And that was kind of, you know, that hit home for me. I'm like, gosh, maybe that's where we need to kind of get, you know, maybe we don't want to leave, lose these players. What do we do to, to give them opportunities to get in the confidence to come back and give it another go?
2: Well, I know we had conversation, Charlene, about that when uh, Fusion tried to do the under sixteen program, and and I am a believer in what you say that if if, if a young athlete isn't wearing that high school logo across uh, their chest, they're not going to play. It's it's that sting of of not being able to make it, and it's not easy to be cut from a team. Um, but I think if there's a landing spot, and it may not it may not happen the next day if you don't make your team. Um, you know, you might want to take a few days, but if there is that under 16 or under 18 uh, opportunity uh, a week later, maybe a couple of players drift towards that and some existing players. So, and Madeline, you're involved with Coach NB and, and again with BNB. Is that something that you could foresee happening, or does it all have to go to the European club system and just keep going all the way through <laughs> till they're adults?
4: Oof, again, it's such a it's such a loaded <laughs> it is, eh? conversation, right? And yep. I don't know which hat to put on first in this one. But uh yeah, and we we've talked about this obviously at length about um, you know, providing those positive sport experiences. And yes, bas- varsity basketball in our province, let's not kid ourselves, it's king, right? It is it is what athletes want to play. They want to play for their school, they wanna be in those spaces. So to your point, Charlene, like being cut from a space like that, mm-hmm. and if you don't have another opportunity that is, I don't even, I don't like using the word like well-respected, but it's a high quality environment for them to go to Eas- easily. That's an easy reason for people to step away from this. Story. Oh, I didn't make varsity or I didn't make this team. There's nowhere else for me to play. I guess I don't play basketball anymore. Um, whereas I find on the boys' side, there's a lot more opportunities and spaces, you know, like city leagues and stuff like that, that where they can just go and play. And I mean, we can get in conversation about how, you know, girls and boys are socialized in terms of play and what's valued in terms of like free time. And we could go down that road. We don't need to, but Mm -hmm. it probably plays a big factor in that. It's like, if I'm not in the structured play space or structured team, there is no place for me to play because my peers don't do this. My peers are playing pickup basketball, you know, on the weekends where boys, I think engage, you know, and this again, generalization. I know many girls that very much do engage Mm -hmm. in sport in their free time but uh i think it's an important thing to note what their peers are doing there's a tendency for you know the the individuals to go to that space
3: yeah and again like let's not you know overlook the fact that we we the kids now do have so many additional opportunities and i think again going back to like things are getting better we we have to make sure we see that and yeah like just knowing that kids have opportunities to play U-14 for a club, you know, not just their middle school. And I think that's going to work wonders for, for the high schools as well, you know, like when the kids cluster coming up through. So it's almost like we're coming around this cycle of, um, you know, kids. Yeah. You know, like there's some, there's always going to be the cuts and the, and the tough knocks, but um, I think there is opportunity. And I think sometimes steering them in the confidence piece where you, you know, really encourage them get behind them and, and um, you know see this you know, you don't have to be done you're you're 14 you can you know there's opportunities for you and and you may make that that big high school team someday you know just some of those side conversations maybe can can go a long way too Absolutely couldn't agree more to that
2: yeah. Is there uh, Madeline you kind of touched on it just in terms of pressure uh, whether it's peer pressure parental pressure I'm not sure Um, of making that team or that, uh, and I think Charlene touched on it, that fear of getting cut because it is a big leap, isn't it? When you're in middle school and grade eight and all of a sudden you're going out against the 17 year old. uh, Mm -hmm. And even if it is open gym with no score clock, no officials, nothing. And it's supposed to be fun and just get out there. uh, uh, Does that play a role?
4: Yeah, I would, I would argue that it does. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think there's probably some athletes that are on the fringe right, where they maybe are interested, but they come into a space where they're not comfortable or they're intimidated by, say, the older athletes and stuff, because that's a massive gap. Like, we're talking about 13, 14-year-olds coming to a space with 17-year-olds. So if they're lacking that confidence in themselves, or it's one of those spaces where, like, oh, I I don't really want to go unless my friends are going, Mm -hmm. um, we may lose athletes in that space, too, because they're, they're just on that fringe. And it could be, like, just one kind word from the 17 year old or from the coach in the space to encourage them. Like sometimes that's all that you need, but you wonder sometimes like how many athletes are we actually getting to in that space? Or maybe if we had to Charlene's point, a little bit more of a positive sport experience when they were younger or coming into that space, we wouldn't have lost them. Right. And those initial um, intakes into the, those high school spaces or even from the elementary to the middle school spaces, maybe we keep athletes mo- longer um, just with, with those interactions
1: it's really interesting I'm hearing a bit of a theme here of when it goes from being a guaranteed participant to to it being a competitive environment where there are cuts that that's that might be part of what the issue is because and you're playing you know uh, fusion or club or club basketball whatever whatever it is right you're you, you sign up you pay your money you're on a team somewhere right
3: mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. And then, I mean, I was just, I mean, I, I wrote a couple of things down even today, thinking in some of these things through, and like, we can talk about all these, all these things that really kind of have an impact. And then there's all the extra things that we don't always talk about is like, you know, like the kids who just, they just don't, you know, they lose interest in it or, you know, the parents can't afford it. Those all those numbers too that, you know, are on the side that we're losing kids. But yeah, I think that we can keep them, I can keep them like, just like Madeline said to just, um, the kind words especially from peers right and the same maybe maybe a couple of years older and you're just making them feel welcome and although i think that goes so far with um keeping kids around
2: well we all obviously you know we all hope that uh, the numbers on, on boys and girls continue to rise and regardless if it's basketball or any sport because i think we all agree the four of us have been around sports all our lives and it's such a life skill to have, um, you know. Whether it's confidence going to in, into interviews uh, down the road when you're twenty six, 26, 29 or or what have. And I think sports can uh, certainly play such a positive uh, role in in today's youth. And uh, just want to see these numbers come up. And I don't think it's a Fredericton thing either. I think it's uh, it is, you know, possibly like Gibby you referred to about the lack of Double A teams. Uh, you know, on the girls' side, and Ryan Day was—he was hope we were hoping to have Coach Day join us, and he's—he uh, certainly has some ideas uh, about uh, numbers. A lot of people have some ideas why numbers. It, and I'd be interested to know, has quote unquote club basketball playing a role at all? Because you're playing eleven and twelve months a year now. It's not just um, you know train all summer and then play for your high school team and you're done in March. Uh, anybody want to have a whack at that? Matzo ball. Mm-hmm. Ooh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and it's an opportunity yeah. to continue playing and and maybe it is uh you know is it and I'm old enough to remember when high school hockey was king and then the midget AAA or the under 18 as it's called now but back then it was midget AAA that came in and decimated high school hockey so um and that was 40 years ago so is that something that we're starting to see in in a different sport
4: yeah, I would say um I'm I'm a huge advocate for multi sport participation. Like I don't think in a sport like basketball you need to be um, specializing early. Um, it is a late specialization sport in itself, but I feel that there is a lot of pressure on kids now to be playing all year round. There's pressure to be hiring coaches, individual coaches for, you know, under twelves so that they get that competitive edge. And it's so different than what I was raised on and it's so different than my coaching philosophy like I I say my one of the things after I end a provincial team season they ask me what they should do next I'm like go be a kid (laughs) like go swim, go do something like don't don't pick up a basketball for a couple weeks like I understand like I I know you love the game but you need to have that balance because not only I think we're creating so much burnout in young athletes, but we're creating chronic overuse injuries that shouldn't be happening to 13 year olds. Like ACL injuries should not be happening and to we've seen a lot 13 year olds. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. that, that's, and when athletes are moving in one way and they haven't, you know, played anything but basketball, those chronic overuse injuries are happening far more frequently. Um, so, cause they're not, if they're playing 11 months a year, you're not giving your body proper rest. Um, and that's incredibly important in those those growth spaces, and especially when athletes are going through puberty as well to, you know, let your yeah. body heal. Yeah. Um, so burnout burnout, I think, is a massive factor in that. And again, if, if an athlete's going to if they love basketball and they're going to play basketball all year round, that's great. But that I do believe that that pressure to keep going is, is causing a lot of problems. And when someone is playing that long and they're not seeing the results or they get cut from a team, they probably start to question why, right? Like this isn't fun anymore. Um, so Well one, of, my, the, one of our yeah.
2: favorite coaches around is Ryan Chase. and I remember we were at a youth tournament. We just happened to be in uh, uh, in the gym, and uh, one of the teams on the back of their uh, warm-ups had, you know basketball is 24/ 7, and, and Chase in that voice just said, "No, it isn't. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> you know you can just picture no. him saying it, but I think that's a great point, yeah. Charlene, would you agree?
3: Oh yes, absolutely. I mean, again, and I, I was brought up in an era where it was like you play one sport and you do it all the time and as much as you can, and um, and things have just changed. And I think it's so true. Like, great—it's—it's—it's right, it's, it's kids need an opportunity to go and do some self-discovery and do things that they enjoyed you know doing and 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 i think it makes you it motivates you um to you know and it, it gives you an appreciation of look i have these abilities as a as a basketball player and now it's like i'm refreshed i'm ready to get get back at it, i'm excited you know the, the excitement comes back when you take a break when you step back and i think it is super important nowadays um too and, and it's been, when you consider the injuries like madeline said um, you, you really have to have a, a time when you just go be a kid. I think that's super important. I think that's probably more important than you know a student that's, or a player that's trying to play all year round. Like, I feel that that will catch up, whether it's through injury or through burnout. It's definitely going to come your way one or the other, um, unless you take some time to just go and, um, and just be, be a kid.
2: Yeah,
1: Charlene, I'm just watching the clock here and I know if you need to step away there for that, uh, that other tip-off, just uh, just feel free and we, we can keep uh, keep going. So just let it, let us know that. But there are a few things here okay. that I do want to touch on. Is that same uh, specialization that we're talking about happening in the smaller towns? I think of the smaller high schools where, uh, unlike when at least when I went out to FHS or we went to FHS, Charlene, where uh, in the smaller schools, the kids from harvey would play four or five different sports because they were needed on on those teams and and there were only a limited number number of athletes are we seeing that specialization even in the smaller centers too like one athlete kids
3: definitely oh it definitely is i mean the kids are playing every sport they're going from one to the other to the other to the next and um uh, but I think, I don't know, like, I think that's healthy for, uh, to uh, until you get to a certain level, I think that that's super important. Cause how do you know that basketball is your number one until you go play the other things, you know, do, do the volleyballs, do the badmintons, do the soccers, all those things. Um, and I think that it's not till later that you have to really decide. Um, but you know, sometimes you just know as well, right? I know I love basketball more than the others, so I'm going to put my time into that. And if that if you decide that in grade 10 or 11, then, Um, So be it. But um, but, yeah, the smaller centers like I, I mean, spending a year in Woodstock last year, um, their feeder programs are phenomenal (laughs) Um, there, you know, and like those kids are playing. It's the same kids. It's not like newcomers and, you know, and all that stuff like it's there's a lot of kids that are starting in grade six or five and playing together every season um, through until grade 12. Um, and those seasons are long, like those those club seasons that they're playing. It's like they're they start in actually October before um, high school season start, and they're playing through March break, like on into March, like so. It's it's a really long season. So, uh, good or bad, um, they are they are thriving.
2: What's today's athlete like? You both coach at, uh, and I know Charlene, you've been out with uh, with UNB once uh, to work with the. Uh, Uh, to work with the Reds, off to a great start in the AUS. Uh, Madeline, you're involved with uh, uh, the women every day in in practice. What's today's athlete like? Just in terms of physical skills, uh, perhaps listening skills, uh, discipline skills, and the whole gamut.
3: I'm interested to know that too. Uh, I think Madeline can probably nail this one.
4: (laughs) Yeah, I think if I could... If I could summarize probably the biggest change I've noticed like especially like post-covid is just really you know how expressive and how important it is for them to be seen as a person first and again my coaching philosophy is very athlete-centered to begin with um and so that that change I think is really positive Um, big, big emphasis on mental health and helping like supporting athletes through those spaces That's one of the things I love about coaching university basketball, because it is more than, more than just the basketball. It's a lot, you know, you're, you're dealing with young adults in a very massive transition of their lives. And so they're figuring out a lot of stuff and you get to be there to help them while also, you know, sharing the greatest game there is in my opinion. Um, But there, it, It is interesting, I will say, especially working with the younger athletes. I will say there are some some interesting things I've noticed. And, uh, you know, we talk about helicopter parents at times and the, you know, the athletes aren't self-sufficient in a lot of ways, but then they also are super self-sufficient in a lot of ways. Um, You know, my my athletes, my younger athletes know a lot more about technology than I ever will. Um, and I'm not that far removed from them realistically. Well, I saw you going are-
2: around the other day with a CD Walkman, didn't I? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> nice.
4: Yeah. nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, and it's, uh, but they, they actually, you know, they're very, you know, mom and dad are everywhere, right? Like they're they're everywhere. And there there isn't anything wrong with that. But I have noticed that you have to be a lot more intentional about our boundaries and our expectations with parents. I think it used to be, You know especially in a provincial team space it was like these are our expectations whatever Um, i'm very diligent now in terms of being very very clear in terms of like what are team spaces and my expectations for athletes in those spaces and how parents interact in those spaces because i want to provide them a high level opportunity and they're learning something brand new um i i don't want to say that they're soft i don't because i don't believe that they are i just think that the spaces and that they're being trained in especially from a youth level they they are being coddled a lot more i would say than probably what i went through and then even more so at like i was probably coddled in comparison to to the generations ahead of me like that trend has definitely changed um but i don't i don't really see it as a a thing to get frustrated about it's like i'm meeting them where they're at and be like okay these are the life skills they don't have let's teach them in a space that's safe um and just just they want to know why. They want to know the reason why, and I can totally get on board with that.
2: I know Charlene has to go. She's got a basketball game uh, she has to commit. I'm not sure if you're still on the line or not, Char, but thank you very much for joining us here uh, on Late Scratches. And if you're I not-
3: appreciate you having me, Brad. Thank <laughs> okay. you very much. It's been it's been fun. Good. Thank we'll, you. See, we'll
2: see We'll you in the gym sometime soon. Oh, and really? the Lions Den is uh, this week, correct?
3: Yes. It's yes, Friday, late. Saturday, Sunday.
2: All right, Leo yep. Hayes. Uh, Billy will touch on that later. Thank you for joining us, Charlene, uh, Madeline. One thing, coaching at the university level, and I know communication has never been easier. You've got the phone on your hip; uh, it doesn't matter. And I know, you know, professionally, you'll get uh, uh, texts or emails on a Saturday, Sunday, and and sometimes the easiest thing to do is is to respond to it. Um, but the older I get, it's it. I'm starting to say no. Uh, Saturday Sunday is a weekend off. Do you ask your players to disconnect as well from the game? Uh, we talked about you know twelve months a year, three hundred sixty-five days a year. But uh, are you asking UMB girls? You know what? Uh, you've played Friday Saturday. Just shut her down on Sunday.
4: Hmm. Uh, yeah. Um, better question for Aaron. I think in terms of those those interactions, um, I can speak to what we've done in the past. Like even like this weekend, we got storm stuck in Cape Breton. So Sunday was a yeah it was windy so oh, the
2: wind yeah I was wondering what yeah, happened okay we probably you never weren't going to get
4: across the causeway
3: uh-huh. that was the
4: problem um so we stayed an extra night so Sunday was a travel day so hard to disconnect mm. when you're you know with your team for for half the day on a bus but right. uh you know it's I would say there's a very strong emphasis on the academic space like we're is very proud of their academic all canadians and that's a huge point of emphasis so there is time where we're like this is study time and if the girls need extra time because they're stressed we're very conscious of that and Erin does a great job of you know working with them to make sure that they're not overwhelmed that their studies are you know not suffering due to the fact that they are committing it's i mean being a varsity athlete's a job at this point the hours required to participate in it and so again, giving a very clear message about what expectations are, but also here's we are a safe space to help you through, navigate this so you can perform on the court and in the classroom. Right. Um, so Sundays are generally off for us. Right. And th- there would be, I'm sure interaction between players and coaches and stuff, but nothing mandatory on Sundays. And then we're back at it on Monday. Right. So that's, and that's just the way the AUS schedule rolls. So we've got Sundays off and then we're back at it Monday cause we play Friday generally um but in the past we've we've definitely given athletes days off while I was at Windsor very conscious like this is a good day off no nothing mandatory you don't have to talk to anyone there will be no pressing matters unless it's an emergency right kind of thing so just making sure there's clear spaces i think that's important especially with with the athletes now and yeah we can say that they're soft sure i just i just don't really agree with that um i think that there's so many different challenges that they're dealing with especially with social media and how inundated they are with with that that it's it's a new challenge that a lot of us didn't have to deal with while we were going through not let alone university but high school middle school with that pressure and social media pressures Um, yeah I think it's we have to meet them where they're at and sometimes sometimes it's I mean, all the time, but really important to see them individually and understanding what they need individually, because it's not going to be the same for everyone.
1: So, Madeline, I'm going to set this question up a little bit and say with just a slight sideways bit of the topic here. So I'll sort of tell you the question off the top and then tell you why I'm asking after that. So you get a little <laughs> okay. bit to think here. So I'm going to ask you what what a typical role and schedule of an assistant coach at the university level is and and the reason I'm going here is I think it was a couple weekends ago sitting at the UMB game beside John Hickey who coaches uh the Stu women and one of the questions I asked him was Stu, Stu men pardon me uh sorry John um and, and sorry Fred as well um yeah so one of the questions I asked John was you know would, would, would you prefer a, a weekend where you're seeing the same team twice because uh uh, you know UNB was going to have uh, have the same team back to back on this on the Saturday versus what is more typical that, that we see in the ACAA is one team on the Saturday a different team on the Sunday and it, his answer to me was I would rather see the same team twice um, because I've only got to prepare for one team and that had something that I hadn't really thought about even even in, in my role as an answer but I I have to, you know I prepare for for those teams. And I can only imagine what the preparation level is and, and where that falls to. So, so Madeline, now that I've given you a little bit of time to think uh, on that one, what does the role of an assistant coach look like and what is the schedule commitment to, uh, in that role?
4: Ooh, yeah, that's a big one. Um, uh, I can speak to my own experiences on that. So my in my last role, my main task was our scouts. So in the OUA, we played different team most nights. There was very rarely, because the league is so big, that you would do one and one with teams. So we'd go to Ottawa, we'd play Ottawa, and we'd play Carleton. Um, we'd go to Toronto, we'd play Toronto, we'd play TMU. Um, so it, the challenging part of that is you need to have the scout ready for both teams somehow, Right. And if you depending on how your your head coach likes to structure it, some coaches liked just focusing on team one and then the scouts ready right after the game for the next day. Some want it first of the week. Some want it intermixed throughout the week. It's all different depending on the philosophy of your head coach. So from a task managing point of view, back to backs with the same team, way easier in terms of how I'm prepping a scout and how how we're building that into the week the challenge about having you know a back-to-back with the team is you've got about what is it like 22 hours to prep yeah and that you got to sleep at some point i mean some coaches don't but you got to sleep at some point
2: <laughs> the old coach right in the office. and
4: yeah and you've got probably have a shoot in the morning so now we're looking at probably only realistically about eight hours of prep if you need to make adjustments based on the game before. And that's why it's you'll see in the AUS a lot of times there could be a crazy, crazy game one night blow at the next game or they split the weekend because one team was better at adjusting and making the adjustments um, based on the night before. Um, And that's it's it's like a chess match. It's fun. It's, It's awesome. And then from but the the better part about the split is that you have now you can just put that game away and now you're focusing on a brand new challenge ahead of you. Um so pros and cons to either obviously. Um so for depending on your role as an assistant I was full time at Windsor so I was involved in the scout I was involved in all preparation for pretty much everything. Um very different role that I am in now. Um so my day to day looks a lot different. So I'm really only at UNB from a couple like half an hour before practice time until the end of practice, doing stuff obviously in the interim. But I'm less involved into the day to day in that space. Um, and so each each coach has a different role, right? And so our, our our days will look a little different. Just like you watch us on the bench, we have a lot very different tasks that we're focusing on during the game. So it all just depends on how how coach divvies up divvies up our roles.
2: That's a great uh, point too, and I'd be interested to know um, you know your. Obviously, both you and Aaron from Sussex, so you know each other from that way. But in terms of you have a, a, a big staff, uh, uh, assistant coaches under Aaron, is there a lot of uh, responsibilities tasked to each and every one of you? Then, then that uh, breaks it up a little bit where you are maybe doing one, two, maybe three things.
4: Absolutely. Absolutely. Unfortunately, well, Aaron put me back on scouts. So I'm back doing do the thing I like to do, something I'm good at. Um, we've got one coach watching um, offense, one coach running defense, one coach responsible for individual, uh, sessions on the court during the weekday. So we we all, we all have different roles in those spaces, which is nice so that because we're all working full-time in other capacities, um, we can focus on those smaller chunks versus having one person doing a myriad of tasks. And, you know, for Erin, like she's, I think she's doing an incredible job. You know, we're you know, three months into the season now, obviously ranked nationally, pretty much a dream space for your first year coming into a new program. Um, yeah. So, and she's, she's a high level coach and a high level, um, organizer and, at you know, she's, she's doing an excellent job and I'm really enjoying that space and really giving us coaches freedom in there to be ourselves, which is cool.
2: Saw an ad once. I think it was last year. In the OUA school was looking for an assistant coach and said ten uh, hours a week. And I was <laughs> thinking, in <the> okay, OUA? <laughs> <Yeah>. okay. <laughs> I can't remember who that was, but <laughs> uh, I just kind of chuckled yeah. because I know yeah. so many of you that are in the coaching ranks, and uh, ten hours may yeah. not—that might be Tuesday. Yeah, I was, was going
4: like, to say the ten hours a day because that's a little more, more that's realistic. Right. Yeah. yeah, I was just
1: going to ask what what is sort of the typical say a week time commitment? Are you talking? 25 hours, 40 hours.
4: Mm, I it, it would depend on the week, you know, like obviously this past weekend, we we're in Cape Breton. So that took a large chunk of my week, <laughs> you know, leaving on Friday just for one game, didn't get back till Sunday. Um, But I, I would say I'm pushing 20 plus right now in that, in that space, which is good. I love it. So it's a no brainer for me, but it is, it's a huge time commitment. It's not just I show up for practice and I'm there to help out There, there's a lot more that goes into it. And uh, I think people have a misconception sometimes of what goes into coaching at the, at the next level. So, and it's time, <laughs> a lot of time.
1: Yeah. That's why I want to go there. Cause that always amazes me when I, I look at a bench and I see, you know, there's a whole list of assistant coaches and, and, uh, I know some people think what can they possibly be doing? And And then you watch them closer in the game and you do see that they all have very particular roles and very particular things. That they're doing, um, I think a uh, John Hickey Saint Thomas, uh, you know, men's uh, team where, um, you know, they even have a have a video coordinator on the bench now, uh, which yes. is uh, which is absolutely you know it just blows my mind away that that we have that at this local level uh, that we can be that that specialized in the in the coaching uh, areas. It, it's it's phenomenal, but uh, I you know tie this a bit back to the earlier conversation about staying involved in sports there are so many roles around sports i mean even beyond coaching the minor officials the game officials the everything else that happens that that if we we don't keep people in sport where are all those folks going to come from that's where where my head goes is is you know that's why it's important in the in the sporting world there's so much more than playing when you get sort of beyond a certain level and and, uh, there are so many things and, and, and Madeline, you're a great example, you know, in the coaching world, but, you know, as an assistant coach and, and, and what you're doing in, in, the, uh, in the scouting of teams, like that's, uh, that's just, that's phenomenal to me, like to, to, to learn of that and to, to understand that and to share that.
2: Is it more than giving back Madeline or is it a passion?
4: It's a passion. It is, um, yeah, I mean, I think I got into coaching for sure because I wanted to stay involved. I realized, you know, this is something I had dedicated so many years to and I loved it. Um, so what can I do? What skills do I have in this space? And I was like, oh, I love the game. I love talking about the game. I see the game really well. Um, and so that, that was an easy kind of step for me. I mean, it's not easy to be a coach. It's taken a lot of work to to get better and better as the years go on, get my certifications and really immerse myself into that space. But, you know, I consider myself really lucky professionally. I get to talk to people about how we get more women coaching and how we recruit and retain female coaches and female identified coaches. So that's what I do for a living. And then on the side, I get to coach university basketball and talk about basketball with people every day. Like how lucky am I? Right. And that, that never would have happened if I didn't have positive experiences in the game. And that I think that really probably ties in the whole thing. Like if these, we're talking about girls dropping out of sport, a lot of it is likely due to negative sport experiences, right? A lot of it is probably due to not, you know, we're talking about different roles within sport, if you don't see women or people that look like you and you can identify in these spaces, it's hard to imagine that you can be that person. Right, and that's not to say that you know male role models aren't incredibly influential and aren't great mentors because I they I believe that they are. Right, I think everyone in the space, as long as we we have the same goal of keeping girls in sport, then we're we're on the right track. But it is there is something to be said about having female role models, and again, just going back to the, why the MWBA is so important. You know, like that's. You know and this is me just shamelessly plugging <laughs> everything right. that we do here. So um but it's it's true. Like those those seeing you know mothers with their children on the sidelines still playing like that you can do both. There is an opportunity to do both. You see female officials on the court you see you know our commissioner one of the be- the best officials in the in the Maritimes for sure. Right. And she's she's out there doing it and also growing the game. Right. And so I think the more we see people in those spaces i think it's it's really going to promote that and we need officials desperately Right? <laughs> we need yeah, coaches, it's, desperately. It, it's funny, right? you're, talk, you're
2: talking about Jen Lloyd, or uh, yeah. who's the commissioner, Jen McKenzie, uh, out of Dartmouth, and, and that was one of the things when she was talking about wanting to be commissioner of the MWBA, she was worried she couldn't officiate, and you know we're sitting around the table saying, you're one of the best officials there are, so we can't, you know, take that away from you, and it's almost an empowerment thing that she's able to run the league and still be, a, a, you know, a quality official. I think it's a fantastic story, and as you said, we're absolutely. starting to see more females just uh, officiating just a little bit, but the number is starting to increase, which is fantastic, and I think she is a role model.
1: Yeah, that's a whole other conversation that we've yeah, got on our, our list of things that we have to talk <laughs> oh, about. Yeah. <laughs> it is officiating and in a positive way about yeah. getting people involved and and why they're not. That was one of the first things I wrote down when we talked about right. doing this. Was the was well, the whole. Officiating you had talked thing. about
2: that tournament coming up this week, and I know Adam Humphrey, yeah. who does the scheduling. Uh, you know, some of these officials and Madeline, I know you're aware, at the youth level are doing five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten games a weekend. Right. It's uh, it's incredible. I guess that's just the the point that. Uh, you know, if you want to give back, isn't it? And it's not always, I, I can't imagine officiating basketball. There's so many nuances going on in that game. Hockey, you fall down, you get a tripping penalty or you hook somebody, football, flagrant fouls, whatever. Basketball, there's so much happening. And that's as a coach too, uh, trying to, to corral everything. Um, one question I had is film. Um, yeah. Film's never been easier. Uh, I mean, my goodness! Youth games are being uh, on Facebook Live now, uh, so you can you can go. But how much uh, film goes into a week uh, of training under Aaron?
4: Um, for coaches,
2: yes, Ooh, and, and oh. players too, because I'm sure it's a lot easier. Yeah. You can talk about a play that happened in the second quarter and years ago. You you, you know, you may not remember, but now it uh, you can show it physically instead of an X and an O.
4: Yeah, the evidence is there. It's hard to hide now, right? So which is a, a blessing and a curse sometimes. But um, yeah, we watch a ton of film, like as much as possible without driving ourselves crazy. For the <laughs> athletes, we we don't inundate them. Like it's like, we're gonna do film tonight before practice, mostly on ourselves, okay. right? That's the biggest takeaway from this past weekend. Um, and then hope we may have time if we have time tonight to go through the scout for this weekend against Dow. Otherwise, we'll do it tomorrow. Um, so their responsibility over the last day has been to watch the scout film because it's successful, It's on their phones. Like it's amazing the stuff we can do now. Like I build a scout, send it out to Erin. She approves it, and then boom, the athletes have it on their they're phones on, their phone. on an app. It's it's amazing, right? So their responsibility is to watch the film because then they're going to do the scout the, as a group and work through it together and be and prepare that way, which is really cool uh, way to do it. Um, so we try and keep the film to a minimum, you being very intentional with what we do. And then they all have, they have access to Synergy um, so they can watch as much film or as little as they would like. Um, and then the opportunity for individual film meetings are always there. So yeah, it's, we don't want to inundate them, but definitely the, there is a lot of film that goes into it, mostly from the coaches side
2: well we certainly covered a ton of uh acreage and uh, i think every podcast we've had madeline we could say we could talk about this for another hour or 2 hours and <laughs> there's just endless yeah. and i know i was talking to peter kelly another member of of unb staff and uh you know december when the university coaches are out in, in full force recruiting and we wanted to do a story on recruiting too so i think that'll come along the line but uh i know you have to get to but uh, we always have one thing here and it's uh, rapid fire questions uh, you're totally unprepared for them, which is the best part of it. And I was going to ask you who's got better hair, Peter uh, Kelly or Anthony Ash, but I'll, I'll hold that off. But, um, so five questions. Are you ready? And then you can break off and go to UMB's practice tonight. Sounds good. All right. Yeah, let's do it. What spice do you absolutely have to have in your cabinet? Curry powder. Curry powder. And no hesitation, yeah. Gibby. Like hey, that's, right that's, there.
1: that's the way the
4: answers are supposed to be. All right. <laughs>
2: Who was your idol growing up?
4: My my rival or my nope, idol? your idol. Idol, Becky Hammond.
2: Nice. Well, now I'm going to ask you, who was your rival growing up uh, playing for Sussex Regional High Sonics? You had to have somebody. KV. k v Case
4: Valley, of course.
2: And who stood out uh, in your matchups? And uh, uh, There's
4: too many. There's too many. I played <laughs> three sports, Brad. Oh, that's there's fair. That is fair. Too too Multi-sport many. Multi-sport athlete.
2: Uh, yeah. What's the one skill you wish you had and you are hopelessly unable to do it?
4: Oh, gosh. Um... I wish I could paint. That would be nice. That'd be fun. Like
2: a wall or a painting, a picture, scenery. All of it. I'm <laughs> so bad. I can't.
4: I can't color in lines. I can't do any of it. So.
2: Well, I've um, I've had the uh, the experience of being around you and a number of uh, basketball in Brunswick coaches over the years. So this one, uh, uh, how many pair of sneakers do you own?
4: Oh, God. Um, <laughs> oh, it's a lot. It's a lot. I've got. You got a little, got, little problem. I've got. I've got a full size, like five foot tall rack of shoes. I've got some new ones already ready for the MWBA season. I am a little nuts on my 30th birthday this summer. So I've got, I've got enough to get me by.
2: Don't tell me the fogs outfitting the coaching staff with the sneakers or are those your own?
4: Those are my own.
2: Okay. That's all right. I don't want to have to call Paul See him
4: in April. (laughs) Favorite
2: place to visit in New Brunswick.
4: In New Brunswick? Yep. Hmm. I mean, Cap Palais.
2: Interesting. For sure. I was there this summer. I haven't been there in ages. What a beautiful spot.
4: Yep. It's a beautiful beach. It's better than Parley, in my opinion.
2: There you go. Less crowded. I
4: was going to yeah. say, aren't you, aren't you? isn't your cottage right near? It's Cap
2: Palais. Pactouche. Close do you, enough.
1: How do you not go to Cap Palais if you're in the You got to go douche? there. St.
2: Saint Antoine, St. Edouard, all of it. Listen to my French accent coming out. Of there it, you go. I'm getting better. Madeline Belding joined us and Charlene Wooliver. She had Peel a little bit earlier, but Madeline, thank you very much. I, I see you in the gym a lot, uh, uh, watching the high school uh, athletes, and it's always great to catch up with you in chat. And I'm sure absolutely. we'll see a lot of each other in uh, in December. So, yeah. um, Absolutely. Thank
0: absolutely. you guys so much. Yeah, thanks, Appreciate Madeline.
1: It. And as I said off the top, it's going to be one of my favorite things to do, to chat with coaches, and wasn't wrong. Uh, absolutely phenomenal uh, to both Charlene and Madeline for joining us. Uh, so thanks, Madeline, Brad, and I. You, you and I can carry on with our yes. usual, uh, our usual roundup of the local sports scene.
2: Perfect. Thanks, Mad Dog.
4: Okay. Thanks, guys, so much. See you soon. Okay.
2: But
1: we take
0: just a quick break here. Get a little ad in, Brad. And Fire we'll away. Pay right back. pay the bills. Regional Service Commission 11 is now known as the Capital Region Service Commission for all your building or subdivision permits, regional transportation social mandates, and economic development questions, visit capitalrsc.ca. That's C-A-P-I-T-A-L-R-S-C Email info at crsc.ca, call 506-453-2956, or visit our office at 860 Prospect Street in Fredericton.
1: Welcome back to Late Scratches, where we cover local sports of all sorts. Uh, I'm Bill with Brad. Uh, a couple of great guests there Brian, off off the, off the top with uh, uh, coaches Belding and Williver. uh, just we could have talked for hours and it feels like we barely scratched the surface right. on some of those topics, but absolutely you know fascinating to learn the ins and outs of of university coaching touch a bit on 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 what's happening with the youth in sport uh, and some of the high school uh, stuff as well.
2: There's so many quality coaches in this province. I'd put a lot of our coaches up against anybody across the country. It doesn't matter if it's at the interscholastic or university or even youth level. And you could just, you know, you'd leave somebody out if you started doing a list, but of preparation that goes into a season. And it's not just about the wins and losses. It's about directing young athletes uh, in the right direction, for lack of a better term. And just uh, the responsibility that comes with it as well. It's huge. And um, you know, when you're trying it's sometime it can be like herding cats, uh, especially at the at the young level, but at the youth level. But um just a, a you know, a hoop salute to to those that take that time and uh and coach because it isn't easy and as Madeline said, uh it's one thing to coach, it's another thing to retain. And uh I think that's in you know part of the battle that we're in now. But uh just a shout out to to the coaches in this province because very good. Oh yeah,
1: um and as I say, and I, I'm generally honest off the top, but it is one of my favorite things to do is sit beside a coach because they see the game in a totally different way uh, than I do for sure. And, and I'm sitting beside them, and they're saying, "Oh, this this is the same set that this team ran here. They ran this, and the memory is amazing for one in terms of uh, of of what they do and." and, uh, you know, how how they how they do it, the, the philosophy. And I go back to, I think we talked about it in one of the early episodes uh, this past season from the freeze where, uh, you know, I was in the gym a little bit more and I get to see right from practice one, uh, Kevin Daly building the system even for that sort of short season, um, you know, um, one practice or two practice a week. Um, Maritime Women's Basketball Association, how important that is to to the team and how it plays out on the floor and uh, uh, you know, the assistant coaches there are some of the same, uh, same as the UNB uh, right. the, the program. So.
2: And I think, and I, you know, I'll always uh, give coach Hickey the, the gears and because his coaching staff, I said, you almost have to have a separate bus, but a lot of that is young coaches coming in and getting a taste of it. And then you hope they develop their own rhythm and then they go somewhere to coach. And that's what it is, is that, uh, you know, the seven degrees of Kevin Bacon um, just, just, somebody's going to grab that and say, you know what, I'm going to go coach. Maybe there's a high school opening somewhere and I get to be a head coach. So it, it has to start somewhere. And I think it's great to, to have them all training at that level.
1: Well, already on that bench, I look at a guy like Tyrese Paul, who coached at the junior high level um, last season or middle school, whatever we call it these days, <laughs> middle school at NASSIS And the number of players that have graduated from Nassis into Leo Hayes and that group of, of grade nines, I'm told at Leo Hayes, is really strong. Um there they're number of them on the court right now as we're recording this, um, at the in the in the J V game and um, I think some of them may even have made varsity. I'm not sure. I haven't seen that roster uh, yet. But.
2: Kyle Woodworth, an assistant coach with John. I yeah. mean he's one of the top coaches in the province yeah. and, and Coach Hickey lured him away from Harvey High and he could coach anywhere. Uh, could, Peter Kelly, Madeline Bell the, yeah. the list just goes on and uh, you know, that could be a conversation for another day yeah, too
1: I, and we haven't really even left the city. No, that's
2: right. Exactly. Yeah, Jimmy Waters, the mirror machine. Going, hey, yeah. Scott Jones up right. in Woodstock. Ryan Day, just uh, you know, all over the place.
1: So a busy week in local sports. Uh, there was yes. a ton going on. Uh, it, there's a
2: ton going on, but it's that transition season now, isn't it? Like football season's behind us, so basketball full gear, yep. hockey full gear, volleyball, well, swimming. Well,
1: sort of, but it feels also feels <laughs> as though I'm preparing some of the notes from this week that we're about to come to a screeching halt here right. at, the, at the university level in in a week or two. Some teams have already had their last home games of right. uh, of this first semester. So you'll turn on record uh, next week,
2: and we'll just be tapping her fingers. Yeah, we could
1: we could we could not have. Uh, uh, you know, a lot of scores. Show to, to about nothing. Away.
2: Seinfeld redux. Um,
1: so that's a dig right in with hockey. Southern uh, uh, Senior Hockey League, Tri-County Express, picked up a win at Grand Lake Defense uh, on uh, Sunday. Fifty-four, thirty-nine
2: 39 shots on goal, I believe it was, 6-4, but the first win for the Express over the Sturgeons of Grand Lake in a battle of expansion franchises. Yeah,
1: that's, uh, that's pretty exciting. So Saturday, the 25th, 8 o'clock, um, Tri-County plays St. John Senior Flames. Uh, Grand Lake Saturday... Uh, at 7:30 versus the game time Irishman. So, you're, if you're local to Fredericton, you've got uh, Minto or Fredericton Junction to pick up a senior hockey game on Saturday night. Uh, Fredericton Red Wings. Holy cow! They've got a four-game winning streak, five out of six, and jumped all the way up into fourth place.
2: Crazy! And they had a share of third place to, uh, uh, until Edmundson won the other night. But the Red Wings just, you know, were flightless for lack of a, just couldn't find consistency. And then uh, just when you thought it was the darkest point at the time, they rattled off four straight wins and right in the thick of things. So uh, the talent's been there. Um, You know, Roger Shannon was one of our guests, and I don't think offense was a concern. Defense was. They brought in a new uh, defender uh, to join the team, and I don't think that's going to be the only change for the Red Wings. But as they get closer to Christmas, uh, putting themselves in a pretty good spot.
1: Yeah, they won their only game of the week at Grand Falls, had a home game postponed uh, due to scheduling issues, which I think was uh, related to that uh, Eastern Canadian Challenge challenge thing in in Ontario and the number of players that were away and also the affiliates that – uh, had games that were competing, I think, at that same same time. was What I think it was about, no one ever told me officially <laughs> no, that's, that's what right. it was about. Yeah. That's sort of what I surmised when I read right. Post I thought, yeah, I look at the number of players that are away for both teams, and then you have to look at some other schedules and think, yeah, they're probably having a hard time getting the appropriate skaters available. That was And the Maritime Hockey
2: League uh, teams, they split them into a North and South division at that Eastern Canadian Challenge. Did very well. Um, they they did know, do very well. Playing against Ontario and Quebec, and, uh, and the local players uh, put on a good show as well. So it's, it's good tap yeah. on the back.
1: Yeah, so Wings are home this Thursday to West Kent. That should be a... a the Steamers. Yeah, the Steamers. Steamers in first in the East Link North division. Um, and then on the road uh, Friday, Saturday... Are the wings so a busy week uh, for the wings upcoming? Uh, moving over to university hockey, um, UNB men uh, continuing to roll along 14 and 0. They won versus Acadia and Saint Mary's. They're home to UPI Friday, which is their last game, home game of the first semester, and then they go to U to M on Saturday. So chance there to to catch the high flying. And I didn't check the rankings this week, but they're still at the top. Number not? one. And yeah. uh, was at
2: the game Saturday and four, uh, ended up a 5-4 Reds win. But the speed of that game is, uh, wow, that is fast in its precision. And it's it's quick moving. Like there's no fooling around. It's just a, it's a fun brand to watch.
1: Yeah, for sure, for sure it is, and uh, that was one of my picks of the week last week of, of things to go see. Where the uh, what's the UNB men's hockey over on the women's hockey UNB eleven and three atop the conference. They won at SMU but lost at X. Uh, so interesting there. Uh, sec- X is second place team uh, in the women's side. Uh, they are home to UTM on Wednesday, then go to UPI on Saturday, and that ends their first half of play. Um, that UTM game. On Wednesday, one of my picks this week of uh, of games to watch, um, and I'll come back to that in just a second. But uh, might as well flip over to Stu. Women's hockey. Uh, they beat a Mount A team that's a lot better than the record on Saturday night. I was, uh, you know, again privileged to be there for that one, uh, and just played an incredibly physical and entertaining game versus UDM on Sunday. Um, they went up one zero a minute into the second period. Stu did. Um, Udm tied it in the third. There was the goal, a goal called back that Udm would have tied it. Um, overtime was just incredible hockey, um, up and down the ice. Laura Brown, uh, it looked like the 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 puck was velcroed velcroed to her stick for about a minute and a half. Just, I, I have no idea how she how she did what she did with it. It was just just amazing. Um, went into the shootout. Uh, Udm put two in the net and and Stu. Uh Stu was denied, really. The schedule maker didn't do the Tommies a whole lot of favors there. They had the, the Saturday night game and then back um, seven would be 20 hours later or less um, from the from the start time. So you could see the legs uh, by the end of it. UDM was just a little bit fresher, and it certainly, um, I think, in my mind, played a role. Uh, Tommies finished with um, three on-the-road um to finish out their first half, so that was their their last home game of the first half. But that that was an amazing game, the Sunday game. It, it was.
2: Well, you texted me and said this is one of the better games you've called, so I knew you were yeah yeah. It, it, it was
1: it, it was it was great, and and not only I mean, I, I pulled a couple of names out of the air. I do a little preview video usually for for the Tommies that they, they post in social media streams, some of which.
2: And I, and I will say, if Eric Moffat from St. Thomas is listening, get the man a banner. Get that St. Thomas banner behind Gibby when he's promoting your sports.
1: Well, I thought you would thought you would like to see the the Maritime women's basketball. Well, that's going to be that's, in, in that's the in, <laughs>
2: <me>. <laughs> that's fair. We'll get you a banner for that in the spring. But however, <laughs> get that Tommy's banner behind. You. It doesn't take up that much space and it rolls up and rolls down.
1: Probably. There, there you go. Well, if he gets me a banner, <laughs> I, I will put it up and use it for those videos. But in those videos, I'm always looking for something to talk about. And having seen the the Saturday night game. It looked to me like Trinity Weber was going to be a factor uh, in the Sunday game. So I, I said, you know, players to watch were Trinity Weber and Olivia Stock. Weber has the goal for Stu. Uh, and unfortunately, Stock was penalized in what I thought of all the things, of all the collisions that happened and all the calls that could have been made Not in the that game. One. I, I thought that one was one that didn't have a lot of impact. And it was called compared to some of the others. And unfortunately, she was in the penalty box. So... I felt good on one side, and then not so good on the other <laughs> yeah, side. That, it, that the two players I said watch—they were two impactful players in the game, uh, but you know f- for different reasons. And it was more of a stroke of luck than skill that, that I you know pulled those two two players out. You know, it's often easy when you're highlighting a game to say, okay, watch the two, watch the leading scores. Um, as I know you're going to tell us yeah. about the leading score here in just a second, but you know pulled pulled those out, and I thought Stu, I thought they deserved better in that game against against U D A M, but it was a heck of a hockey game, and um, I would love to see more people out to watch that women's hockey at that level and appreciate it for the, the 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 pace and the and the skill that is present there because that that was phenomenal.
2: I've touched on it too. The joy. The joy, um, yeah. It, it truly is. It, it's it's obviously it, it's different than the men's game, but just to, when I do call the games or go see the games, it's just the joy of competing and, and competing at a high level. Uh, yes. and it's in our backyard. So
1: that sets up a really big game on Wednesday. That U to M team, you know, they they played really well as well. They're fast. They've already beat UMB twice. Uh, I believe they beat X as well so they're Giant hunting killers. yeah they're hunting at that top of the conference i think they sit yeah. sit in third and saint thomas in fourth uh, if i if i have my my numbers correctly um and unb coming off that loss of access sets up this wednesday game uh as a as one that it, you know uh, highly recommend you get nothing to do tomorrow night or wednesday night whenever you're watching this wednesday the the uh what's the date going to <laughs> be the 22nd, 22nd of november some of you will be beyond that date when you listen to this uh, get out get out, and check out that women's hockey game and a chance to see uh, Lily George.
2: Yeah, absolutely. All-time points leader. So stick tap to Lily George, uh, 81 points with UNB. Um, just any time you can write yourself into the history books. Uh, a talented player, she's always around the net as well. And just uh, uh, she's going to continue adding to that all-time point total for the Reds.
1: Yeah. um, Yeah. Phenomenal. Um, I don't have anything for high school hockey. I've yet to find a good online reference that I can just pull stuff off. So if you know of one and you're out there listening, email it to us, late scratches at outlook.com or, you know, get in touch with Brad or I, we'd be happy to, to, uh, you know, give you some time here Uh, on the volleyball. Stu women are now three and three lost a five setter at Dell AC one at St. Anne. They're home this weekend to Holland college on Saturday, St. Anne on Sunday. Uh, Stu Men Volleyball, they are two and three. They lost uh, twice at St. Anne. That's their only trip to Church Point this season, I think. Church Point. Uh, Church Point. Well yeah. Um, to pull that one out every once in a while. Uh, and they're home to Holland and, and uh, USTA uh, this weekend. Uh, that St. Anne team, they were the conference champions last year, and they look like they picked off. Uh, picked up right where they've left off. Tommy's will be in it. Uh, I, I think by the end, they're young. They're gaining experience here in this first half. And as we all know, you get to playoffs. Anything can happen. But St. Anne does look does look uh, quite good from what I've seen in the early going in the in the ACA volleyball. Uh, UNB men volleyball. They're now two and six uh, in the conference. They don't play again until after Christmas. The Winnipeg tourney uh, in December, the 28th to 30th. Uh, UNB women four and three. They lost two to Acadia and I think they were both five setters uh, here at home. They're at Moncton on Saturday. So if you're into volleyball this weekend, Stu is, is your best bet. Uh, basketball, we talked a lot about basketball here. So let's get into that uh, as well. Uh, UNB women six and one. They lost for the first time this season. It's a tough sled. Uh, Go to yeah, Cape Breton at, at for Cape one Breton. game. It, like, it wow. is. I looked at that and I thought, really, where yeah. we're, you're going all the way to Cape Breton for one game? Like that's a, you're yeah, talking an eight or nine hour plus drive on a bus, maybe even ten on a bus. Yeah, like, that's because a would trip because you'd be stopping, right? Like, yeah,
2: you better be prepared and have your snacks. Yeah, because I was going to say uh, that
1: that uh, that single bathroom on the bus. You would think would be pretty pretty <laughs> busy by the time you you get all the way over there. With,
2: Worst road trip I ever had the American Hockey League, Portland, Maine to Cornwall, Ontario. Ooh. Oh, I was seeing red. Like it was awful. So did so, so you go up, go up through Syracuse? I have no idea. It was dark and it was cold. The time oh, the that, that would still be. So I feel for UMB and those, anybody that's making the single trip to the Cape.
1: Uh-oh, we got an error on our recorder here, Brad. I'm not sure what that means.
2: <laughs> it's not ticking, is it?
1: No, it says right air, So I'm not sure what happened. We'll keep talking and we'll see what happens at the end. Perfect. Uh, so we might have just lost everybody. We might not have. We'll see. Looks like it's still going. Um, so we'll keep going. Um, so that was uh, UNB women's basketball. Men, they also lost at CBU. Um, so they're three and four now in their the early part of the season. Um, we've mentioned before, they're at Dalhousie uh, Saturday, and that ends the, the UNB basketball. Uh, first half of the season for a semester it seems unbelievable that it just sort of started and it now, now it's over
2: we're talking to Katie Butts remember back yeah. when the days were still long and yeah, we talked we, about how quick it goes and
1: it, it zip it's gone yeah. by uh Stu men they were idle as were the white Stu women one and four also at SJ on Friday night that will be six and eight for those games uh in the G Elliott Forbes
2: uh, Battle of Highway Seven.
1: Yeah, Battle of Highway Seven. So that should be a good matchup. UMBSJ certainly on the men's side, very much uh, revived um, and looking, you know, uh, really competitive. They played, you know, one of the top teams in the country. I believe they can MS uh, MSVU mm-hmm. on the weekend and played them a tight game. Right. From and
2: number three, MSVU landed. Yeah,
1: number three. Great to see the Atlanta Conference getting. Uh, you know, getting, uh, getting recognized at, at, at that national level. So that's uh, university, college, basketball, high school basketball. We could spend an hour just talking about scores there this time of year. Yeah. We'll touch on the ones that we know locally. I went to the alumni games at FHS. It was the Leo Hay girls over FHS uh, and the FHS boys over at Cole St. Anne. Uh, there's absolutely a ton of the Lions going on. And uh, you know, because we had Coach Wolver on, we might as well talk about the Lions Den tourney. That's coming up this weekend the boys focus is really friday saturday the girls there's one game on friday leo hayes is in that game but then they're a saturday sunday uh focused tournament the way they set up the schedule there which i, I think is good it, yeah
2: it carries it over right? yeah it ca-
1: carries right. it over and, and you know allows the most of the teams to focus on you know two days of play as opposed to a you know a three weekend of play and and we already mentioned of note there's a, an incredibly large u11 tourney uh, for the fusion in town this weekend I've tried to add up the games on the on the official schedule that I saw and I, I lost count somewhere in the 60s um, so just uh, and tip of the cap to the organization and to the officials. Uh, Just Uh, to get facilities, like trying to
2: find facilities to accommodate that, not only for the games, but hotels. And, I mean, that's the residual effect, the the monetary effect that comes into play. I
1: think I counted eight floors with six games a day on the floors on the Saturday, and then I think um, uh, six floors with five games maybe on the Sunday, something like that. It was was a crazy, crazy amount of games and and numbers. And you look at the officiating assignments for that, and it was just a big, long... (laughs) Big, long list that, that's where I go when I'm looking for what's going on in basketball right. is go go, go look at the, doesn't tell you who's playing it right. tells you yeah. what level and and uh, you know what uh, what time the games are uh, sort of where so you kind of didn't have to infer that uh, uh, but that was absolutely uh, uh, amazing uh, anything else sort of on the I've got one more thing to one or two more things to mention. Uh, tangential i guess just to, to our conversation but anything else on results or scores on your list of things
2: no just uh i think um i'll go back to the mwba for a minute a major move franchise move uh, windsor edge no more uh they've moved to the dartmouth coal harbor preston area called the lake city 56ers a historical number the 56ers uh, about uh, equal uh wages men and women back in 1956 and just a lot of connotations with that number so i think uh, you putting three teams now in, uh, in the Halifax Regional Municipality. And uh, I think they could accommodate another team there, to tell you the truth. But I think it's going to be uh, an interesting uh, season that way as well. And I think there's going to be more news coming out of the MWBA as well under Jen Lloyd, who's just doing a, a tremendous job as, as new commissioner.
1: Yeah, I was just going to say, I think there's more news there coming that we, we won't...
2: Uh, yeah, we look forward... I know there's, you know, we've talked too about the freeze and in and, yeah. and, and St. Stephen in, in April for a preseason game, and a lot of work's going into that now, uh, just to try to make it more of just a one-off game and make it an event of some sort uh, down in the border town with the world's oldest court. So uh, a lot of people doing a lot of things.
1: Uh, incredible. Uh, so we'll move away from, I guess, the games and the scores. Uh, and I know, I know you've probably seen this on social media, and I know you'll know this guy, uh, Chris Connor. Yeah. Uh, I want to touch on that uh, just a moment. Uh, Please do. Local media member uh, was was when I talked the last couple of weeks about the Fredericton Canadians and the, the fight between uh, not Rudy Poshak but Link Gates uh, and Jerry Fleming. It would have been. Uh, Chris Connor and Aaron Kennedy on the call of that uh, of that fight. So back to their uh, track announcer at the Fredericton Raceway, uh, went on to cover horse racing in Ontario, and I believe even on The Score, score back when, yeah. when that was yeah. a channel. I don't think it's a channel anymore. Uh, Will be familiar to very many people in the Fredericton area. A North Sider uh, at heart, I believe, uh, uh, is Chris Connor. He's in a battle with MS uh, now, uh, needing a little bit of support, to hopefully know, keep him home, and there was a GoFundMe that circulated uh, on the weekend uh, through social media that I saw. I've certainly, shared it. Um, you know, if you're you're able and and you want to read more of the story, look up that GoFundMe. You can find a link for that uh, on the podcast website. Actually, I've got that up there as well with the schedule of the week that we started doing and, and my picks of the week uh, of games to go see. So. Um, you know, late, scra- late scratches.podbean.com, late scratches.podbean.com. Yeah. That main page, you just scroll down just by the, by the little intro blurb and then the schedule of the week there, you'll see uh, the link to the, the Chris Connor GoFundMe. And I'm sure you've got Chris Connor stories um, <laughs> a, a, a time. I'm sure.
2: Yeah. Uh, stick to the PG ones, but um, MS is something that's certainly close to me. My sister has MS and uh, I've known Chris, Uh, a long time as well. So I I feel, you know, I'm I'm certainly familiar with it. And um, yeah, I mean, we we ran the circuit together for a long time. And I know he's, you know, very close with a lot of us, Uh, Aaron Kennedy and Bill Hunt, Bruce Hallahan, and uh, Andrew Holland, uh, to name just a few that uh, Chris touched many people because A, his sense of humor, B, his professionalism and See his sense of humor, <laughs> you know. He's just that type of person, and and I know I had a, a a note from Aaron Kennedy today that trying to get together on Monday for a luncheon, and uh, hopefully that works out, and yeah, there'll that, be some that, war fit, stories there.
1: Yeah, I'm sure there would be uh, some great stories, and, and and again, if you can check out that GoFundMe. Uh, the one little story I, w- I will tell goes again back to those Frederick and Canadian days, and that's when uh, in my camera days for for Channel Ten and Brad, I think I've told you the story the b- <laughs> story before. Um, you know we're recording and in those days it goes went to tape uh, and wasn't necessarily live and it was all out through the through the mobile van which was really a van just fitted up with, a, with a bunch of bunch of recorders and it plugged in through one power cable into the building uh, which was held in place by duct tape, literally so that was part of our <laughs> setup every, every time that it arrived and that where that van was plugged in happened to be Uh, If you're familiar with the Aiken Center, the doors towards the visitors' dressing room uh, where the the players would come in and get in out of the bus right there, that same doors is where it was plugged in at the time. Um, So there was a a player, I think he was ejected or sent to the penalty box late in a period or something. And anyway, he he goes down and he pulls out the cord. So he (laughs) unplugs the whole truck. So the truck is dead. Um, and, and Mr. Connor and Mr. Kennedy are, are doing the, doing the you know the play by play, and they look over at me on camera, and I'm up top, and I'm still going because I I don't know for sure that the truck is dead. It just seems like the truck is dead. A- and everybody in the press box, of course, can hear these guys talking and going back and forth, and they continue on, and of course they know the truck is dead because their monitor is gone, like completely gone, and nothing's nothing's working the way it should. Doesn't one of them say? Hey, um, it, insert the f-word into the into the play-by-play and i don't know which one of them was i think it was Chris fix auto uh, no well, it wasn't fix auto but it was a whole lot Sponsor like fix alert. it was a whole lot like fix auto that right. same type of yeah. type of commercial but the whole word uh you know into the into the play-by-play and of course you can imagine the reaction that would get in the press box from mm-hmm. everybody that was around there of course they knew that it was did, but they look over at me and of course i'm doing camera and i'm still going because i know the thing can come up and the look on their face when they looked over at me like
2: it's still going?
1: Yeah, like was it still going? Uh, so th- that's my interesting little funny story of... Uh, well, I've
2: got a chord for the Aiken Centre story too. I, I, I so guess. That's right. And it, there's probably different iterations of it, but yes. covering the Canadian Ringette Championship at the Aiken Centre, this was years ago when we were funneled downstairs and Bruce Hallahan working with the Gleaner, I was with the TJ. I get up, whatever, who knows, probably to get another order or another hot dog or something walked right by had the old TRS radio shack 80 plugged into the wall and I didn't even see the cord and I walked right through it and on there Bruce was clackety clacking away he was a quicker typer than I was and his screen went blank and the look on his face was just like what just happened so here we were rival papers it's not like I reached over with a pair of scissors or anything I you know to this day it was an accident but at that time I was like oh god I'm feeling your pain now how much copy did you just lose
1: yeah, that, so that chords in the Aiken Center yeah there's chords in the Aiken Center so that's a that's interesting that uh, sorry couple, Hallie. a couple of uh, stories there um, so no corrections this week nobody uh, uh, okay. uh, said anything in this week that we got wrong last week which yeah. isn't a surprise because uh, I don't want to say it was hard to get a word in edgewise with Tom Coolin, <laughs> but I think uh, I think coach Coolin <laughs> took us on, a, on an adventure last yeah, week. it was that an was adventure I,
2: there's so much feedback on that I think he's uh, he's you know like Charlene Woolover, just one of those people, Joyce Slip, and then and, and many others that are just you know universally liked, and just the the people I heard from saying you got Cooley, like how first of all how did you ever get him to figure out how to reach you know back here and we make fun of Tom that way but what a storyteller oh
1: and, an incredible storyteller um, so yeah so no corrections that's good maybe that's good. maybe it won't have to be a regular seg- segment that's right uh, and what's on tap this week uh, for me Thursday I'm at the Wings for you uh, thanks Cubby. Uh, Stew Volleyball Saturday and Sunday, and I've committed to do some PA work at the Lion's Den uh, for Charlene on uh, Friday, Saturday. Sunday times don't work based on my volleyball schedule, or I'd probably be there then too.
2: I show up to recruit the other day at the FHS game and... Eighty-five feet across the court, you are doing the PA at, at FHS against Leo Hayes. Yes. You know, like it never ends. And now you, that work got you well, uh, into the Lions' that's den. That's how, so I, how I got asked
1: to, to uh, amazing, to good job, out, to help out uh, with Leo Hayes as well. And on top for you this week, I am sure you'll be recruiting at the Lions' den. if you. If you yeah, well, up.
2: planning on uh, going to Halifax uh, if everything works out right, but uh, who knows? Maybe home, but uh, certainly we will be at the Lions' den if those plans fall through and uh, and see see what's out there.
1: And very last question: How's Ali May?
2: <laughs> Ellie Mae had her first training session for those that don't know she's our St. Bernard foster fail puppy, uh, eight months old and uh, we had her out for training on Sunday and then the teacher left so I was left yesterday and today and she's responding dramatically well although my treat quota is going up
1: uh, I would imagine that you've got a lot yeah. you've got a, you've got a, she's got a, a beauty yeah you've got a pocket full of treats there all right, so we're we're well over an hour twenty here now. We've been chatting. It was great to chat with. Uh, really was. I enjoyed uh, that. 100%. Yeah, Coach, Coach Belling and, and Coach Oliver And I honestly, I tried not to chat because having them two chat and just people listen to that. Is when they started
2: talking back and forth, I thought that that's the whole impetus behind this, isn't yes. it? And uh, I think that was great. And, and honestly, we we try we we. Um, try to get some guests and everybody's schedule is so busy. You know, I try to get the uh, Gardner McDougall. You try to get Sarah Hill with whoever, and it's just very difficult to coordinate everything, but we're trying. Yeah. And, and, uh,
1: a, and a lot of that is us and my, sure. my inability to say no to other things as well. Cause uh, I mean, that's, uh, that's who it. you are, Gibby. That's, it's just who we are. Yep. Um, anyway, that, that I think wraps us up uh, for this week. Again, uh, thanks for tuning in, folks. Brad, you, anything else at the end?
2: Episode 11 in the books.
1: Episode 11 in the books. Uh, come on back for episode 12 uh, whenever we get it out there uh, from Late Scratches where we cover local sports of all sorts.
0: Late Scratches is the podcast that sports fans are talking about in the greater Fredericton area. Stories, features, and special guests are filling the gap for what's happening in your favorite sport around the region. If you want to advertise in this medium, now's your chance. You can sponsor a show or have a 15-second commercial on Late Scratches, your stop for Fredericton and area sports stories. Email Scratches at outlook.com for details.